What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. We haven't done a podcast in three weeks at Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was Atlanta professional sports, wacky ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, good to be back. Good to hear your lovely voice on the other end of my headphones again. We uh we tend to like to just leave for a few weeks at a time nowadays and not give anyone a heads up or zero accountability. We just guess we just do our own thing now, huh? Well, stock prices have plummeted for Atlanta Zone. Uh, if you guys are looking for that and on Wall Street, it's AO. Shares are really really low right now. So if you want to buy, uh, please be my guest. But uh, just know that they can plummet at any second. It. Well put, Graham. Well put. So all that being said, hopefully we're not too rusty. I think we got a few things to talk about this week. Nothing as important as like, I don't know, say your favorite team being in the National League Championship Series. But, you know, if, yeah, one game away from the World Series. Right. Ugh. But, you know, there's there's been enough that has accumulated over the last three weeks that you know, we can have a couple segments, and I think we have a special treat or some I, – I, actually not a treat. It could be a scathing review, uh, listener mail, literally listener mail, user mail. Literally, yes. We have had user feedback via text, via uh, tweet, via Facebook, uh, but we have never gotten a letter. And Adam, it's from the guy we can't get enough of out in sunny San Diego, Mark Andre, our former kidnapper from 2018, who has periodically appeared on the show with his uh, much lovelier counterpart, Cheryl Pounder. Uh, he sent us a letter from the office of Mark Andre to our friends at Atlanta Zone. That was how the letter was addressed. And then when I flipped it over, it says open on the air, comma, please on the back. So I was about to open it. And then no. I looked on, you know, it was very smart, smart of him to, uh, to label it like that. At, at least it's... So that will be coming at some point during the show. At least it said to the friends of. So that makes me think it could be a positive thing. Yes, our friends at Atlanta Zone. Because I, I, don't, I don't think that we could mentally handle a scathing review, Graham. We're, we're, we're very fragile here at Atlanta Zone, aren't we? For, for many reasons. Being an Atlanta sports fan for 30 years will do that to you. Always concerned of a botched onside kick, a missed infield fly a call, lead. a blown lead. These are all... That's the biggest one you got to be worried about. Blown, blown a lead, yeah. That's why I, there, there were, to get into our political section of the podcast, there were a lot of very unfair memes going around. I don't know, in case you've been living in the woods for the last like year or so a uh, presidential election happened last week and everyone got all excited because Georgia, well, not everybody about 50.5% of the country got excited because Georgia was possibly going to be a blue state for the first time since 1992, I believe uh, yep. Clinton and I, careful. Adam, you're going to lose your centrist identity keep talking about uh democrats like this i think all i've said so far is stats 
Oh, you talk about what's coming next? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't know what the hell you're going to say. I'm just going to say I don't appreciate the comparison to Atlanta professional sports. Like people, I kept getting like memes of some clever guy, probably like a Mets fan or or most likely a Patriots fan. Now that I think about it, it was like posting talking about twenty eight to three in the Super Bowl, our two atrocious blown leads this year against the Cowboys and the Bears. What else was really bad that we've done, Graham? There, I think there was another one. Well, the Braves losing the NLCS, they're up three to one for Christ's sake. That that was one. Oh yeah, I think Georgia and Alabama and the national championship from a couple years ago, and the main yeah. are they implying that are they are they making this because their Trump supporters were were upset that the Georgia lead was blown? No, they were Biden supporters saying Atlanta has sacrificed. They've made all those sacrifices oh. for this, the bigger cause. And this was while everything was still up in the air. And I just thought it was, I mean, did did they not realize the irony there that like there was a a big lead and something that could be blown and now you're making these memes? You got to wait till the clock hits zero, Bo. And. Oh, yeah. It's not over until it's over in Georgia. And I did not consent to those sacrifices at all. I would, I would, I would like those wins, Graham, personally. So. It's kind of a yes, and you know what? Atlanta sports has nothing to do, and Georgia sports has nothing to do with the election. So it's just people reaching and disrespecting the disgraced name that is Atlanta sports in terms of our choke jobs and trying to rationalize it. It's kind of like jinxes, Adam. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a jinx, and there's no such thing as Atlanta sports lost all these damn games for the benefit of Joe Biden. Well, I don't dis- I don't agree with you on the jinx piece, but. I agree with you on the major point there. Just leave us out of yes. it. We, we got nothing to do with that, okay? We're just over here trying to win a championship. No sacrificing for any greater good or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, normally when you make a sacrifice, it's done consciously. <laughs> you know, it's it's done in an effort to either, you know, like the Aztecs would rip the beating heart out of somebody they did that on purpose. No, it wasn't a mistake uh, ripping out of the heart. You know, when uh, spoilers for Alien 3, which is one of the worst of the alien films. But when Sigourney Weaver falls into the vat of fire because the chest burst or because she's got an alien inside her, you know, she did that willingly. Sacrifices are willing things. They're not unconscious things. It's, it's like you, you, a sacrifice is an act that a conscious person must take in order to, for it to be deemed a sacrifice. Such as like the current rebuild that the Hawks are going through. We sacrificed the end of that core and are dealing with these losing seasons with the conscience idea that we're going to come out better and maybe win a championship. Or what Arthur Blank sacrificed right. Dan Quinn. That's a real sacrifice, people. Well, that's not a sacrifice. That was just idiocy, but, you know, whatever. Well, that's true. Less, I get what you're saying. good example. The point is, leave yes. us out of it. Very unfair. I'm triggered. I don't think anyone that played in those games, I know no one means it literally at all, but, uh, or if they do, they're idiots. But yeah, I don't think that was on anyone's mind when we lost all those damn games over the last 10 years that people are referencing. I also love that people lump in the Chicago Bears game this year, the Dallas Cowboys game this year, as if that holds a goddamn candle up to the Super Bowl or the NLCS or the 96 World Series, you know? Yep. Very, although at the moment, felt pretty shitty. 
Mm. As you recall me hiding behind the fence watching the Cowboys game at your house. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was awful. Don't get me wrong. It is the worst. That onside kick play is the worst play in NFL history. <laughs> Great. However, it was in a regular season game. Yeah. Not a, it was not a playoff game. It was not in the Super Bowl. So Gra- Graham and I finally watched the Falcons together for the first time. Probably since that Bears game, once it was clear that the season was going to shit, we just like, it's like, yeah, we'll watch the game, but I'm just going to be sad on the couch uh, at my house by myself type of deal. But you're, mm-hmm. you're like, eh, you know, I think we, we, they're starting to look like a decent football team again. It'll be fun to just get together and watch the game. And just watching how easy it is to recover an onside kick. Twice. is just shocking. I, I still can't get over it. Like when we were watching that the yeah. other. And although that second one we almost blew. The second one went off Ricardo Allen's hands. And I can't remember who picked it up, but we almost blew that second but one. But he still attacked the ball. would have let Denver back in the game. Yes, yes. It wasn't like we waited around. And they kept showing the goddamn replay of the Dallas game. It really is. It's unconscionable. I, I, I still, to this day, no one can give me a great answer as to why that happened other than we're idiots. And, and you know what's... But you've seen, we've had like four onside kicks, I think, since then. And we have been on those things like goddamn white on rice and you, since that debacle in Dallas. And you know what really sucks about that, too, is like we've always been not a complete laughing stock, but now we're, we're a laughing stock. And it's all kind of the Falcons' fault. Because the yes. media just loves talking about us blowing leads now. And it's 100% the Falcons' well, fault. What, what am I talking about? Like, they started it. And with the Super Bowl and now with this botched onside kick thing, like, the media just loves talking about it. And not until we win well, a Super Bowl are they ever going to stop talking about it. You know how excited Barstool Sports gets by Atlanta almost blowing a lead? and what? Oh, Big Cat always is tweeting about it. He, at least he sends... Falcons fans uh, condolences or Atlanta fans but yeah they get pumped up for it <laughs> but the thing is that the Falcons have done that three times this year Dallas Chicago there's another game too I can't remember I want to forget and I have thank God but there's there was a third game that we also blew the Lions the Lions yeah yeah that one was bad too that 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 was the old don't score and you win almost as ridiculous because that's completely under your yeah, control only the falcons would score would score a game losing touchdown just like only the falcons would throw a pick two on a two-point conversion hmm. which we were the first team to do that i think only team to do that so far since they changed that rule from being a two-point conversion it used to be a dead ball if you picked it off then they changed it and we were we were the first team to throw a pick two in the super bowl season actually nice yeah, just another ridiculous story about Atlanta sports. But you want to dive into this Broncos game, Adam? Sure, sure, yeah. I think that was a good segue into it. Yeah, so Falcons won 34-27, dominated the game through the first three quarters. It was quite refreshing to see. Matt Ryan looks like uh, he's gotten over his the ghosts that have been chasing him since that brutal Khalil Mack hit against Chicago. I believe that was in week three. Uh, had a very good game, 25 to 35 for 284, three touchdowns. And unfortunately, one interception um, wasn't the worst interception in the world. Probably shouldn't have thrown it. Was a risky throw, but he looked really sharp overall. Uh, your boy Zacchaeus. I'm not even going to try and say his first name because I will mispronounce it, like I did Kamala Harris's name all weekend. He had a great game 
had four catches for 103 yards and a touchdown. I think all that came in the first quarter. He was uh, looked really good in the absence of Calvin Ridley, who missed the game. Julio Jones also got a rare touchdown pass from Matt Ryan. A 21-yarder. He looked good. Had, I think, four catches for 54 yards. Well, and, if you have, and the defense played really well. Just to stop you real quick, if you haven't seen the replay on that Julio touchdown, you should definitely watch it. It was just dirty, the easiest touchdown connection for Matt Ryan to Julio Jones you'll ever see. Made the cornerback look like oh, a yeah. fool. Oh, he, yeah. He, he burned him. It was, it, there was like, it was single coverage, too, which I think is just ridiculous when you got Julio in the red zone which normally most teams are all over him in the red zone. That's why he doesn't get – that's one of the reasons why, for whatever reason, we can't get the ball to him in the red zone. But it was very refreshing to watch Julio just catch a wide-open touchdown uh, in the red zone. It's just so, so rare yep. that that happens. I mean, Denver looked terrible the whole damn game up until the fourth quarter. I mean, we were forcing punt after punt. I don't know how many punts we forced, but it felt like every time you looked up, damn Denver was punting the ball again. And we were destroying them. And then, of course, the fourth quarter comes around. And we just don't know what the hell we're doing. Almost blow the damn game. And uh, I think going into the fourth quarter, it was 27 to 6. <laughs> and then you wind up only winning 34 to 27. Thank God we got that last uh, Denver score. Denver outscores you. Yeah, Denver outscores you 21 to 7 in the fourth quarter. Uh, we still have a lot of issues in the secondary, Adam, despite the fact that we're winning games. And we're winning games against shitty teams. Let's Let's be honest. Let's be real about it. I will say one person who did have a great game, Adam, was A.J. Terrell, a rookie first-round pick out of Clemson. He was outstanding on one drive. He broke up three passes in a row and just played really great coverage all day long. And he's had a very decent year up until this point, but this is the first game I saw him make really impactful plays on the field, and that was nice to see. And hopefully he can continue that progression going into the game against New Orleans in a week. Yeah, with, with that secondary, definitely Terrell is learning on the fly and getting better. But we're also just getting a little more depth back now. I saw, like, the splits for what they were doing with the cornerbacks. And, like, Terrell played 100% of the snaps. But then all your other guys you got, your Sheffields, your Denards, your Oliver, and I suppose Neesman and Bleedy Ray were in there as well. Like, no one else played more than, like, 50% of the snaps. So they were doing a lot more rotations as opposed to just sticking poor, poor Isaiah Oliver out there just to get torched the entire game because you have no other options. So that probably contributes to the defense improving until the fourth quarter anyways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it was nice to see Matt have some time back there. I think that offensive line is getting better. And Denver actually has a good, you know, a solid defense. So it was nice to see that, you know, even when they were sending pressure, he wasn't getting, he did get sacked a couple of times. It wasn't like, it wasn't, you know, abysmal. We've seen Matt take a, a beating, as we've mentioned many times over the years. So it was good to see that. Yeah. So Grady Jarrett also had a good game, had a tackle for a loss, was generating a lot of pressure on Drew Locke, even though he didn't get him for a sack. He definitely forced Locke into a really bad throw that wound up being an interception to Ricardo Allen. You know, we talk about how he missed John Abraham. Even though he's been retired for, for yeah, ten a years, decade now, in the Senate. <laughs> or not a decade, but like eight, uh, six, seven years. But just somebody who can come in and make a huge impact on the defensive line, who can really disrupt the quarterback, and you know, force an interception because he's getting pressure on him, or get a strip sack or something like that. 
And it was, and even though that, that's not Grady's primary job as a defensive tackle, it was still nice seeing him being able to get pressure on Locke, and also doing this without Dante Fowler, who's been a total bust up in this point in my in my book. Getting up the middle, getting pressure on Drew Locke, forcing the interception was was great to see. Your boy Foye also looked great. Ten tackles, got a sack as well, and the defense just looks a lot sharper. I mean, that fourth quarter, you know, they looked horrible like they usually do in the fourth quarter, but. Through the first three quarters, I mean, they they looked really good, even though I know Denver doesn't have a very good offense. It, it's still encouraging to see what this defense is doing under Raheem Morris as a head coach, as opposed to Raheem Morris as a defensive coordinator. But I guess you can also make the point that maybe this was on Dan Quinn for defense's underperformance, perhaps. Yeah, Foye is starting to look a little bit. I mean, obviously, he's not at the same level of Grady Jarrett, but just talking about, I mean, Grady Jarrett was, what, a fifth-round pick, and Foyer, we got in the sixth, and I mean, he's looking—he's looking like a bona fide star at this point. It's just all all over the field, making tackles, forcing fumbles. Um, I mean, you're getting to the point. It, it's a weird year. It's three and six. I don't—I don't think anyone's actually thinking we're in contention again. Uh, we're definitely not in contention no. for that number one overall pick anymore. So you got to start—you no. got to start looking at. What players do we want to keep around going forward? And I would think Foyer is high up on that list for the defense anyways. Um, yeah, and like you say, he's all over, the, all over the field. He even had four quarterback hits in that game, which says a lot considering that also he's a linebacker not used as much on blitzing packages. Oh, yeah, and speaking of linebackers, the thing we were commenting on during the game while we were watching it was Deion Jones. It's so great to see him like being sent on blitz packages. Uh, and I think that has made a huge difference as well instead of where we just always kind of have him back in coverage trying to like go up against the slot receiver. Now he's getting after the quarterback, forcing the quarterback to make a play. Totally. And I think you see a different defensive philosophy with Raheem Morris because Dan Quinn's philosophy was always cover three, you know, good coverage, and then generating a pass rush with your front four. As we know, the Falcons have failed to do that since the beginning of time. So that was a fault you know, faulty logic on his part, and we, like, didn't blitz that much. Raheem Morris is much more willing to send blitzes. I don't know what the percentages are, but we are definitely sending blitzes more often, and we're definitely seeing Deion Jones more often in the blitz package. And you're exactly right. I think that is that is helping the defense a lot. Even though even though blitzing is, is taking a risk, it's still something that I think this team in particular has to do to be, effective, be, to be an effective defense. Well, and having, if... Terrell can turn into that lockdown corner, having a guy that you know you can just throw out there on an island that just gives you so much more creativity to be able to move the rest of the defense around and get after the quarterback. So, I mean, Morris is looks like he's doing a better job of working with the personnel he has instead of pretending it's 2013 in Seattle. Right. I still will not anoint him the head coach at this point or even think he's worthy of consideration solely for that boneheaded move of not kneeling to kick the field goal against the Lions. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Well, not the dumbest thing I've ever seen. The dumbest thing I've ever seen was not jumping on the goddamn onside kick against Dallas. But so even though they told him, even though they told him to go down, I put that one more on Todd Gurley. I mean, you put that on Todd Gurley. Yes. But I think the percentages favor you if you just kneel it because you don't leave as much up to chance like something stupid like that happening. 
you know, if you just kneel it, that's that's very basic. You know, it's like yeah. you can't get not even the Falcons can you can't screw that up, it up. You know what yeah, I, mean? I hear you. Yeah. Todd Gurley certainly deserves a, lo- a lot of the blame for that. Most I mean, you could argue most of the blame, but I I would still say most of the blame lies on Morris. Just kneel the ball, kick the field goal. I know people made the argument of, well, kicking a field goal is not an automatic thing and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, OK, but you're at like the eight yard line. That's like a 25, 30 yard kick. That's less than an extra point. I mean, Jesus Christ, you know? Yeah. No. I mean, that that to me gives you the, statistically the best chance to win that game. And you don't give Detroit a chance to answer. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with you, you, you know. <laughs> It was a dumbass decision. Yeah. Welcome. It was just incredible. Well, welcome so, to the yeah. 2018 to 2020 Atlanta Falcons. We make bad decisions. Indeed. Uh, but let, let's talk about Raheem I, I Mur- think, Morris real quick yeah. while you're on it. Okay. I mean, I think... Obviously, the different voice alone is making the team look better. And, like, we knew this team had more talent than they were showing on the field. But you said, what would it take for you to want to hire Raheem Morris? He's got to beat New Orleans at least once. He's got to beat Tampa Bay at least once. So he's got to show me that he can win against a bona fide team. Because even though we are three and one, I think since he's uh, he's been the coach, yeah, three and one. Yeah, he hasn't beaten a good team yet. He's got to beat a good team. Denver's not good. Detroit's, you know, and I know he lost to Detroit, but like the people that we've been beating recently are 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 not good at all. Minnesota sucks, and they were also missing Dalvin Cook. So you got to beat a good team for him to warrant consideration at this point. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, we got the Bucks and Saints coming up, but I mean, I guess. In Kansas City. My my concern is I mean he's got he's a part of the Dan Quinn regime. And yeah. He is a head coach who had well, he had a head coaching position in the past. And it, it would just seem like a very safe, very kind of dirt cutterish hire, uh, versus yeah, going after one of these younger offensive minds out there yeah, that would maybe be more of a learning curve, but set us up better in the future. So, I mean, unless we really just, hell, I mean, if we're beating the saints and bucks, we might be talking about playoffs this year. So unless that happens, right. I mean, if he, I'm not, if, I'm not yeah. interested in like, I mean, I, I need a full, full coaching search. That's for damn sure. I agree, and I think also the remnants of the Dan Quinn mentality are still there. I mean, you saw it in full force in that fourth quarter. You know, you're up double digits, you're up 20 points, and we can barely put away Denver. Yeah, that's true. So that's just another, that's another strike against Raheem. This, this choking mentality is still there. So I, I agree with you in the sense that I want young offensive-minded coach. I want a coaching purge of everyone else. And it's just not realistic to expect us to beat the Saints or Tampa Bay because we've shown this this season that we cannot beat good teams. And even if we do, hell, I don't know. Even if we somehow make it into the playoffs, unless we win the Super Bowl, I'm not interested in Raheem Morris. Like you know, well, that's a stretch. Like, right? I, I if we make a playoff run, then that's a different story. But I, yeah, I I just and it's possible that the Falcons could somehow squeeze in there because we know that 
Now it's seven teams in each league in the playoffs as opposed to six. The NFL announced today that if the season is shortened due to people catching COVID and not being able to make up games, then they have to cut the season short, which I know is making every fantasy football owner's heart skip a little bit right now. Then the playoff field will expand to eight teams per conference. So you have a 16-team playoffs with eight in the NFC, eight in the AFC. It's just in a bad idea because instead of like playing mostly meaningless week 16 games or week 17 games, you just quarantine everybody so you know everyone's to go good to go week one of the playoffs where they're really going to make their money. So it's not a, not a terrible idea. Work, working on the fly, as we saw MLB have to do. Right. And, yeah, NFL is, having, is struggling to be able to get COVID stuff under control. Steelers just had an outbreak. Roethlisberger got, got COVID. That's what a lot of the, you know, the COVID experts have been saying for a while now is that, you know, with the winter coming, with the cold coming, uh, in terms of the temperature, you know, the, the cases are going to spike. We've already started to see that shit around the country. So, of course, it's also going to affect the NFL. Well, maybe the NFL's got the pull to get their hands on some of those uh, new Pfizer vaccines that might be coming out, Graham. But who, who, oh, you never you know. You don't need to get them to the elderly. Get them to the NFL, please. <laughs> yeah, don't give it to anyone who's got an underlying uh, illness or the elderly. Please give it to the NFL for our, for our selfish pleasure. And thank you. And thank you. We are kidding, by the way, for, uh, for those that don't know. So, Adam, the Falcons move on to a bye week this week. And then they set their sights on New Orleans the week after this one. Yeah, New Orleans who just... So this will be scary. Yeah, New Orleans just tore up Tom Brady and the Bucks, who were looking like the favorites now. Is Drew Brees back? He's got Michael Thomas back. Drew Brees is looking better. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the, it's the big test. And it's the big test for sure. Like you said, let's see, Raheem, you yeah. got two weeks to plan for it. Uh, this ain't the Broncos. And I don't care how much we go up in this game, no lead safe against them. So it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, are we Are we at New Orleans? The, we are at New Orleans for this game. The good news I would say about this is that n- no matter the year, these games are always close, and no matter the record, like I mean, the Saints have sucked before, and they still play us hard, and we're good, and vice versa. So, we're going to give the Saints everything they got, and uh, you know, I, I expect it to be a, a, a close game. But the Saints are so much better than us up and down the board. I mean, it's going to be very hard to get a victory going into New Orleans, even though I know there's not going to be as many people there because of COVID shit in terms of the the fan base, but. Man alive, they looked amazing on Sunday Night Football. Just beat the shit out of the Buccaneers, man, like you were saying. 38-3. to three. And those three points came when the game was already 31 to nothing. So that was a mercy fuck, three points for Tampa Bay. Hmm. Just hard to, hard to believe with that offense. But it's the NFL, you never know on any given Sunday, Graham. Yep, that's true. I, I got some beef I got to talk with the Falcons real quick. You know how we've had a lot of bad draft picks over the years, Graham? <laughs> you don't say. Yes, it's true. Well, look out. We're looking at another bad one right now that no one's talking about. Sterling Hoftrichter, everyone's favorite pun- oh. everyone's favorite punter from Syracuse. 
who we drafted with the seventh round pick, which might not sound that high, but I don't think a punter has been drafted since Nam. He is, and I, you know, I had him just on the eye test. I was like, man, this guy sucks. He never kicks it anywhere. Uh, it's always like 35, 40 yards. We never pin anyone super deep. I think I've seen him do it once. And now I'm looking at the stats, and he is officially, he has the lowest punt average in the NFL, 40.7. Jesus. Uh, the, there is a guy under him, Hunter Nieswander, but he doesn't even have a picture next to his face on NFL.com, and he only has two punts. So I bet he's not even a punter, and Sterling's barely past him. It's probably a kicker that had to play because of an injured injured uh, punter. But anyways, he's just been god-awful. 38.5 net, a long of 55. And let's, let's see what other some of these actual longs out there. 72. See, I, I need a boomer like that, Graham. Corey Borgiaquez. Looks like he's a who does he play looks for? like he's a charger. It doesn't really matter, but it's just annoying, Graham. It, it's it, it's going to beat us in a game like the Saints. And it's also an example of this happening in the Denver game, where he had the opportunity to pin Denver deep in their territory, kicks a touchback when he's at like our forty-five or something, or, or excuse me, their forty-five. Yeah. So it's like. Come on, man. It's not just the distance, which is concerning, which that is one of the major concerns for a punter, but it's also just like not being able to pin anybody at all. Uh, I know he also was like, once again, around midfield, and he kicked it out of bounds at like the 18. And it's like, well, I guess that's better than a touchback, but not by much. I mean, he, yeah, he's given us nothing. He's not helped in the field position battle at all. Yeah, if you'd. I mean, he's worse than. Uh, Whoever are like, Bosher, oh, he makes Bosher look like the goddamn Tennessee Titans. Player. Oh hell yeah, yeah. Let's let's bring Bosher back, please. The because man, yeah, Hoffrinkter ain't getting it done right now. No, he he might be a one and done. We'll see. The season's also young, so maybe he can get better. We'll see. Oh yeah. well, obviously the the go ahead. I was just letting him know he, he's officially on the block. He's been called out. He's officially on the Atlanta zone chop block. Yeah. The biggest Falcons news, Adam, that came out this week was Tack McKinley has officially been released by the team. The former number one, not number one, but first round draft pick in 2017 called out his now former team last week on Twitter saying he demanded a trade last year for a second round pick and then demanded a trade this year. Or he demanded for a second round pick, but apparently a second round pick was offered according to Tack for him and the Falcons didn't trade him. This year, he demanded a trade again. A fifth and sixth round pick was offered for him. The Falcons didn't trade him. The Falcons have come out and said that's bullshit. And they benched him. Healthy scratch for the game against Denver. And then they cut him, I believe, yesterday on Monday. So, thus marks the Tack McKinley era of underperformance, injuries, and quite frankly, talking shit when he shouldn't. And even if he doesn't like the organization, you don't do that. You don't put that shit on Twitter. I just think that's that's a, 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 that's something you handle internally. Well, it is disappointing because he was one. I know we were both excited about the draft pick at the time. Like he notoriously started by cussing uh, after getting drafted, dedicating it to his grandma, which, which we which, appreciate, which was a sweet sentiment. And he just wanted to get after the quarterback. I was like, that's all this guy wants. He, he's got a motor, and you know he wasn't that bad in 2017. Really, 
but he was always just a touch slow. He would almost get to the quarterback, which doesn't really count for much. And then the injuries started mounting up. And then, yeah, this running your mouth on Twitter thing. Like, I think his goal was to get cut, which if that was your goal, great success. But (laughs) the problem is other teams aren't going to be super stoked about picking up a former first-round pick who runs his mouth on Twitter about his, at the time, current employer. So Tack is not doing himself any favors. I I, I don't – and I think he's going to be a mirror image, although different because Vic was so quiet and just didn't really care about football. But Vic Beasley, another top 10 pick for the Falcons, was just – recently cut by the Titans as well. So Vic Beasley's football career might be done. Like, and it's just, I mean, it's a little bit of bad luck, but also just bad scouting on the Falcons again. And, um, you know, at least Vic gave us a lot more than Tack ever really did. It's not like we really missed him out not being on the field these past couple weeks. So, No, you, you never really missed him. He never disrupted the game that much. And... I think he got a sack week one. Week you know, one, he might have gotten a big sack. We're like, "Tack, here he comes!" But yeah, he just you know, it just he just cools off. Then he gets hurt. Then he comes back, and then he's ineffective. Then he gets hurt again. You know, it's it just wasn't working out, and he couldn't really just he just couldn't be productive. And for whatever reason, we have the hardest time out of anyone drafting edge rushers. And you know who else was available that year, Adam? Uh, to do oh the Watt guy T.J. Watt, yeah, yeah T.J. Watt, who we talked about in our draft preview show, being like, man, that guy looks really good, and he's the brother of J.J. Watt. Maybe we should draft him, but no. Yes, yeah, and now he's wreaking havoc in Pittsburgh. Got who knows what, where we would be if you just like make one of those correct picks for once. Yeah, because like that's the thing. We just have no difference makers on the defense on the uh, uh, edge rush. God damn, I, I, I'm so tired of talking about this and just the release of Tack. Even though it felt vindicated for the Falcons, you just feel sad overall as a fan because you're like, we put a lot of hope into this guy being a first round pick. I think he was like number 17 or 23. I can't remember what pick he was, but you know, you listen hear his backstory about being raised by his grandmother and him promising that he's going to go to the NFL to her on her deathbed, and he does it how emotional that was. And then he's just a bust and a malcontent and sounds like a big asshole, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's not... Maybe he's not. Maybe he's going through some shit, but he sounds like... He looks like an asshole and he sounds like one, too. Yeah, you, you can't chalk it up to immaturity in year four in the NFL at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he could have been a fan favorite. A lot of people liked him uh, his first couple of years, but... You know, you got to produce, you got to stay on the field, and you got to not be an asshole. So three uh, X's there. So end, end of the Tack McKinley era in Atlanta. How we barely knew you. Another somber finish. Yeah. Well, Adam, should we open this letter from our former captor, Mark andre Yeah. Do, do we touch on the Hawks real quick? Nothing's officially happened, but... Oh, yeah, let's talk about the Hawks. Th- th- yeah, things yeah. are close to happening. The draft's coming up now, I think just in a few weeks. When is the draft, Adam? Wednesday, November 18th is the NBA draft. 
So the Hawks are currently sitting at the sixth overall pick, but there's been a lot of chatter that we're looking to move that pick just because there's not a lot of like big time NBA players ready. And we're probably not going to get a difference maker that's ready to compete this year. And the word around town is we're looking to flip that for a veteran that could come in and contribute immediately, which I'm to the point where I'm like, yeah, we, we have enough of a young core. Now it's time to bring in that, Paul Millsap, I mean, not Paul Millsap, but a Paul Millsap type player, uh, preferably someone that can play alongside Trey Young in the backcourt. And yeah, I'd I'd totally be up for it. I hope it happens. Um, I I think sticking at number six would be a little disappointing at this point. Yeah, I think especially you saw last year the, the growing pains with Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. It's like we don't need to add another guy who's going to you know, if if we had the opportunity of drafting a Zion Williamson or LeBron James kind of talent, obviously you hold on to that pick. Although you're not going to find that guy at six. But uh, yeah, you're exactly right. There's no reason to draft another guy who's going to come in here. Might have a lot of talent, but it's going to you know take a minute to get acclimated to the NBA. And the Hawks aren't in win now mode, but they are in a mode where their young core is there, and it's time. Like you're saying, it's time to compliment Trey Young. You know, if you bring in a good veteran, that also not only compliments Trey Young, but that compliments the Clint Capella acquisition we made in February. And now you're talking about a lineup of Trey Young, this mystery vet- veteran for the sixth pick, Clint Capella, John Collins, and then either DeAndre Hunter or Cam Reddish, or maybe Red Velvet if you feel like he's the guy. I don't know. But it just it just lengthens your, your team a lot. And hopefully it gives Trey the true complimentary piece he, he needs. And I know all the players that we have now compliment him in some way, probably John Collins the most. But you need an additional playmaker. I mean, you look at sort of the model right now, or at least the model in Golden State, which I think was a very successful one, is that, you know, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, this one-two punch in the backcourt that can hit threes, that can penetrate, that are multidimensional players, uh, you need another guy like that. I'm not saying the, Fal- or the excuse me, the Hawks are going to get a Clay Thompson for the sixth pick, but hopefully they can get someone that can function in that role a little better than the personnel we have. So a, a name that I mean, it's all rumors out there now. I would think, but like an example of a trade that could work is trading with the Celtics, and apparently they're interested in moving Gordon Hayward. So mm. we could pretty much swap our first round with their first round and get Gordon Hayward. So something like that I'm interested in. That could be something you, you wonder about Hayward's health. Cause I know he hasn't been quite the same player since he broke his, broke his foot, but I wouldn't, or leg or whatever that was that horrific injury he suffered a couple of years ago. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind kicking the tires on that and just seeing where he's at health wise and inquiring. Yeah. And you also don't want to, I mean, I know, and this NBA offseason's weird because, I mean, this draft would have been like months ago and free agency. I mean, the season would be going on right now. <laughs> so, the, yeah. I mean, they're officially starting the league, I think, like the week of, I want to say like December 22nd, somewhere in there. Maybe it's after Christmas. Um, that would make sense if they start on Christmas Day and then the Hawks would probably play like after Christmas. But anyways... 
free agency is going to be happening soon, but there's not a lot of big names out there either. And the Hawks have a ton of money to spend. So they might be looking to do like a one year and then there's big names out on the market for next year when things are a little more contained. So it might, it might yeah, be, it might I be think- setting the rebuild back a year, honestly, um, all this uncertainty, but we got, we got to bring in somebody to a, to keep Trey young happy and B to show an elite free agent that hey look at look what this team can look like bringing in a talent like you so i mean if yeah. we can sneak in as a seven eight seed this year let's go yeah and i think i mean we talked about that last year how important it was to show progress and i don't think we showed enough progress last year this year you better damn well do it or you are going to run the risk of potentially losing trey young when he goes to free agency which would be true to atlanta that would be one of the more true to atlanta things that could possibly happen that'd be tragic Let's not even think about it. God. Yeah. Let's 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 just move on. All right, All right Adam. I'm antsy to open this letter. So I'm gonna do it. Okay. There's the sound of the envelope opening. I am Mr. Exposition since this is a auditory art form, I guess you can call it. Oh wow. Alright, let's see. My dearest friends at Atlanta Zone. I'm sending this correspondence via the Postal Service because I threw my phone out the window listening to your NLCS recap episode. Uh Your analysis about Pache's high quality at bats was spot on. However, I was flabbergasted that you discussed this topic so long without mentioning the atrocity of pinch hitting the Panda in the ninth inning. He, Pache, was the least worthy of the 7-8-9 hitters to be pinch hit for. When you then had the audacity to discuss Snickers' decision-making and not bring this up, I threw my phone out the window. This might have been Pache's Andrew Jones moment. Pache and Acuna back-to-back bombs Eagles World Series. Anyways, I think it would be interesting to do a podcast focused on the off-season possibilities, contracts that are up, how important getting rid of Austin Riley is, Austin Riley is, is faulty done, etc. Sincerely, Mark Andre, and then he also signed his name and signature, P.S. Matt Ryan sucks. Hmm. And then there's also something that's very important, Adam. Uh, in this very letter. important. <laughs> important notice of a change in terms. This was written on the back of a Capital One letter that must be uh, Mark Andre's account, <laughs> which we will uh, not disclose here. Oh, okay. To the listening public. I thought we. Oh, so there's some fan mail for you, Adam. The point Mark Andre's making. Seems like he's more talking about... So let's set the stage here. Pablo Sandoval appeared in Game 1, Game 3, and Game 6. And I imagine he's talking about Game 6. That was one of the games that we lost that was very close. And I would agree with Mark andre in the sense that I don't... Like, I would have bet Pache over Riley, considering how Austin Riley didn't do shit in the series with the exception of the home run in Game 1... And then hit the big hit in game that seven. He has single he got in game seven. Yeah. Other than that, he didn't do anything. So I would have based solely alone out of working a walk against Walker Bueller, but being down a one, two count when he came in for Duvall, I would have put Pache at, at seven, even though I know that's a lot of, you know, whatever, a lot of pressure put on a young kid. You got to do whatever it takes to win the game. And he's giving you quality at bats. So I would agree with what Mark Andre saying. And, I will formally apologize to Mark Andre on this matter of not calling out that decision. I don't 
I also don't think it's the reason we lost the series. Although, although he would argue that that Pache, so he's saying Pache would have gone back to back with Acuna to win the series. I suppose is what he's saying. But um, yes, and we know Acuna was very ineffective, so that probably wouldn't have happened. But I would not put in Pablo Sandoval for Pache either. Even though I know Pablo is a postseason hero and blah blah blah. Uh, he hasn't been a relevant player in years. At least we know Mark Andre's got a new favorite Brave. And he still hates Matt Riley. <laughs> that's what we'll take out of the letter. And Austin Riley. Yeah, Austin Riley, that's going to be a big conversation at some point in the future. I, I think we feel like at this point Camargo's not the answer. Austin Riley's got to get more consistent. I mean, I know he had that hot streak in the middle of the season where he just like, could do no wrong, but he cooled off after that. So it's like, you know, it goes back to this stupid question I ask every year. Who is Austin Riley? Or who is, insert name here, but, you know, in this case, it is who is Austin Riley. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I will say, at the very least, he has turned into a great defensive third baseman. He played quality defense all year. I just don't know what kind of offensive player he is. And I don't think the book has been totally written on that. But I think if we are lucky enough to get a full season next year in MLB, hopefully the tale will start to be told in terms of the type of player Austin Riley can be offensively. Yeah, I think this this would be essentially year three for him. We'll start to know for sure. Ne- next November, we'll have an answer for who is Austin Riley. Thank you for the letter, Mark Andre. We appreciate the feedback. We will not be sending you a new phone, however, for you throwing it out the window. That'd be like me telling the Braves to get me a new liver and heart after all the liquor I drank during the NLCS. Or a new phone for due to their or an, malfeasance. Or a new phone for the times you threw your phone around. I did throw my phone around quite a bit during that series as yep. well. Well, Adam, I think that wraps us up for today's show. It was nice to get back into the swing of things and I don't think we'll be taking any more time off from the show. I think we just needed some some time away after that brutal Braves loss. You know, you don't really want to talk about your shitty football team uh, when you're still reeling from what was a devastating defeat. Did the Atlanta United end up making the playoffs? No, their season is done. (laughs) Unfair. We, We missed an opportunity to talk about them, Graham. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Until next time, rise up, stand brotherhood, unite and conquer, believe in blue land, chop on, mix it up, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitality soap. Hospitality soap.